1: Hope you're having a a wonderful day and I hope uh, your week has been a blessed week as uh, mine was and continues to always be a blessing to serve our Lord and Savior. And indeed, uh, I am using the word Savior right now um, intentional because today uh, I will be talking about the topic that we uh, began uh, last week, which is are we worshiping? Uh, Muslims and Jews, I should, uh, Muslim and Christians, I, sh- uh, I should say, are we as Christians and Muslims worshiping the same God. And that's definitely a hot topic uh, that you hear so many answers. And uh, Lord willing, I also intend at some point to have a uh, either uh, uh, individual interviews or hopefully a panel interview with a mix of uh, former Muslims and other also biblical um, scholars, missiologists, Uh, who reach out to Muslims to address this issue. I mean, there are so many ways we can answer that question. I don't want to sound like it's a dogmatic way of answering, but we have to really explore sometimes the nature behind the question and how we can diligently uh, reveal uh, to the the one who's questioning or how we are intending to reach out to our Muslim people with the right explanations and answers. So there are so many ways to answer. I just want to clarify that. Now... Um, last week we talked about the uh, the fact that Islam uh, utterly denies the doctrine of the Trinity. In fact, it makes accusations that the Trinity is the worship of three gods, which we stated that that's not true, because that's not what we worship biblically. We worship one God who revealed himself in the persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we call him the one triune God. And also, the Quran asserts that we worship, um, uh, we claim that God is Christ, and that's not true as well because Christ is God incarnate. He is the revealed, basically, um, He's the Son who revealed the Father to us in the flesh. And um, uh, they also, I mentioned that the Quran uh, mixes up the uh, members of the uh, Godhead by claiming that uh, Mary is the second member of the Godhead. So we have God the Father, God the Mother, and God the Son. That's also not true. Because we worship God, uh, one God who revealed Himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Even though Muslims think the Holy Spirit is the angel Gabriel, that's not what we're talking about here, biblically speaking. And uh, if uh, there is one of the websites, of course, I like uh, uh, periodically to mention uh, sources for you. There is a website that specializes in apologetics called CARM, C A R M. And uh, in that website, uh, they talk about this very question, do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? And if you were to go uh, to that particular website, you're going to see that they have uh, a very short answer. And in that answer, they have a chart that compares and contrasts certain things about God between Christianity and Islam. For instance, when it comes to God being only one in all existence, the chart will reveal that Christianity and Islam both affirm this. That's true. When it comes to God being eternal, n- has no beginning or no end, both Christianity and Islam affirm this. No doubt about that. When it comes to God being transcendent God, both Christianity and Islam affirm that. But then we have a problem because the Bible also affirms the not only the transcendence of God, but the eminence of God, mean by He is here as well with us. That's where Islam, of course, denies that because it truly believes that God is transcendent. And then, when it comes to the question about God being omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, both Christianity and Islam affirm this. However, the nature of God when it comes to the Trinity, meaning God revealing Himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, only Christianity affirms this. Islam denies it utterly. And then when it comes to the incarnation of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, meaning God appearing in the flesh, as the Bible states it, also Christianity, without a doubt, affirms this, but Islam denies it. So uh, this is what I mean by the fact that we have to be very careful because now we are going to deal with um, some contradictions between both Christianity and Islam, And uh, that's something that we have to be very careful uh, when it comes to how we are going to um, have this kind of discussion because um, revealing God from a biblical perspective is very important when it comes to the nature of God himself. So, having said that, uh, let us listen to a clip, an interview uh, with uh, uh, a member of the Gospel Coalition, uh, who himself is a former muslim a believer in christ uh, his first name is Tabidi and uh, you are going to listen to how he articulate to us the differences between the god of islam and the god of the bible just listen to clip number 1 Tabidi
2: i wanted to get your take on this question Miroslav Wolf an eminent theologian at Yale Divinity School published a book Allah Christian Response when she argues that you can be both 100% Muslim and 100% Christian, and also argues that Christians and Muslims worship the same God, how would you respond?
3: Well, you know, I appreciate uh, Professor Wolf. appreciate his work. Um, a very thoughtful man in so many ways. Uh, I just, not knowing his spiritual background, I, my visceral reaction is he's probably never been a Muslim if if Mm -hmm. he has he would understand just how unworkable that that position is so i i I love to use this illustration when i was converted from islam to to faith in christ um there would be another two years after my conversion where the quran would hold a a vaulted place in in my home Mm -hmm. i I wasn't reading it and if you'd asked me if i thought it was you know Mm -hmm. um in in scripture i would told you no but the tentacles of Islam and the practices of Islam and assumptions of Islam uh, mm-hmm. were still wrapped around me in, in very tight ways, just sort of in this octopus with all eight arms just clutching onto me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is not, it is not possible to be a Muslim and a Christian at the same time. We, we can mm-hmm. come to the question of is it the same God, um, short answer is no, but, but even in the practices of the religion, it's not possible. And I think when people make that, that kind of claim, they fail to understand how much of Islam is the forms, hmm. is, is the ritual, is, mm-hmm. is, is all these things that they're saying you can be inside of but not a part of. It, it's, just, it's just unworkable, and I, and I fear that you, you actually wind up uh, hurting people more in that way of things than you are, are saving them from in hmm. terms of concern for persecution and ostracism and, mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things.
2: Well, let's talk about the question of, do they worship the same God? Because mm. a key part of Dr. Wolf's argument is that Calvinists and Arminians have different views of God, and yet they believe they worship the same God. Mm. Christians and Jews have very different views, and yet a lot of Christians would certainly say that they worship the same God mm. as the Jews do. Mm. So if they understand that there can be differences and still worship the same God, then what's the difference between Christians and Muslims yeah. worshiping different
3: God, well, same that, God. It seems to me that that's a significant category mistake, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. So a, a difference between a, a Reformed or Calvinist Christian and an Armenian mm-hmm. Christian in their view of God um, isn't a, a difference about the nature of God. It might be a difference about how God works providentially or how his sovereignty plays out um, in, in salvation. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's, a, that's a difference about the workings of God, not about the nature of God. Um, If we're talking Jews and Christians, uh, the Christian would at least argue that part of what God is doing in the progression of revelation is revealing more about himself, and that self-revelation climaxes in Christ um, and in the Trinity. Uh, So in that sense, uh, we we would see differences based upon where you're sort of standing in the stream of revelation, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And and even having said that, um, we we would look at... um, Hebrews and other places uh, and see how how Jewish people are, are reading their scriptures as Christians and seeing mm-hmm. their right. glimpses of you mm-hmm. know uh, God as He reveals himself fully in christ those those are, that's a different category of discussion mm-hmm. than than trying to say God is one and has no partners, and trying to at the same time say "God is one and exists in three persons um, No Muslim makes the claim. Um, if he's being honest, or she's being honest, that that's the same God that you can be both Trinitarian mm-hmm. and Unitarian at the same time and in the same way. You just what if,
2: can. what if, though, as Dr. Wolf would argue, the Muslim understandings of the Trinity are not accurate, and that if we just clarified our views of the Trinity, then Muslims would would see it differently, that they're reacting to perversions of the Christian doctrine of the Trinity.
3: I, I think that's partly true. Yeah. Uh, in my experience in both the Muslim world and uh, in the Arab Muslim world and in the Western world in, in talking with Muslims, even when you clarify the many misconceptions mm. about the Trinity, mm-hmm. uh, it is abhorrent to Islam that, that God should exist in three persons. Uh, it, is, it is, most Muslims will tell you, that's illogical. Um, and, and inevitably what you're doing is committing the highest blasphemy of making partners with God. Hmm. And they go back to the, go back to the cardinal confession um, that there is but one God uh, and that God is one. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think at the, at the level of, of um, concept, we, we, we're talking simply about misunderstandings. We're talking about irreconcilable conceptions uh, of who God is. Mm. Um, and, and Muslims are very clear. They do not understand Christ to be God, the Son of God, God the Son, um, would not hold to a view, even though their own scriptures mention the Spirit of God some 11 times, would not hold mm-hmm. to a view that that's, in fact, um, God the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, and, and at that point, you know, you, you, see the, you see the tensions and contradictions. Got it. Thank you for answering. Oh, thank mm. you. Brother.
1: Well, that was an excellent, of course, interview. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, Dr. Thabidi is a former Muslim himself, and uh, therefore he's bringing that perspective um, uh, on this topic. Um, And before I uh, can go further, if you're just tuned in, um, uh, you are listening to Let Us Reason, um, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with Al-Fadi. I'm your host, Al-Fadi, and today we're talking about uh, this fundamental question, do Christians and Muslims worship the same God and um uh, and uh, the questioner here in this clip was asking uh, uh, Thabidi, uh about a uh, a Yale scholar his name is uh, Murslav uh, Wolf and uh, he wrote a book called Allah uh, a couple of years ago and uh, it's uh, out of that book um uh, was raised some of the questions that the uh, interviewer was raising about Murslav's uh, view of uh, why Muslims um uh, Uh, lack understanding of what we're talking about and uh, it's pretty much uh, uh, we need to clarify uh, our understanding of the Trinity to them and so on and so forth. And uh, just recently uh, uh, about a couple of uh, weeks ago, if you're listening to this show um, Nabil Qureshi, a former Muslim himself as well, debated with uh, Dr. Murslov over this very question, do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? So Um, What we heard uh, is that uh, the issue is related once again to the nature and character of God. And even when Murslav raised the question uh, or the argument that uh, if Armenians and reformers, for instance, argue uh, uh, over uh, God uh, from the biblical perspective, uh, doesn't that mean that they uh, both have different views of God? Well, um, I guess the BD's answer was uh, uh, spot on when he says we're talking about the working of God. Because if you understand uh, the difference, the fundamental difference between uh, the Reformers um, and the Armenians, uh, let's say the Calvinists and Al- Armenians, we're talking about specific things. And in this case, one of those things we are talking about, for instance, the assurance of salvation. That's one of the fundamental differences between the Calvinist view, five-point Calvinist, and the Armenians' view when it comes to assurance. Calvinists or Reformers will say, our assurance is secure. The Armenians will say, our assurance is not 100% secure. In other words, we can lose our salvation. But they're not arguing whether it is the same God or not the same God. They agree, both agree, that we're talking about the God of the Bible. They both agree about his triune nature. They both agree that he is the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. No one out of the Armenian camp or the Calvinist or the Reforming camp would disagree over the nature and the character of God. So there is no comparison whatsoever here. And even this uh, um, claim, and Muslims use that all the time, that there is a fundamental difference between the Jews and the Christians, well, we have to understand that the Jews, first of all, reject the New Testament. They reject Jesus as the Son of God or God incarnate. And therefore, they have missed out on the ultimate revelation of God, the progressive revelation that started in Old Testament and got to the New Testament. The New Testament builds upon the Old Testament. Go to the Gospel of Matthew and see for yourself how many times Matthew referred to this is to fulfill the prophecy. And then he would reference an Old Testament prophecy. In other words, saying that Jesus is coming and his birth and his work came to fulfill these prophecies that has been anticipated in the Old Testament. So we have to really... um, Be fair as well when we start using arguments like this. Uh, There is no comparison whatsoever between the fact that uh, a group like Armenians and Calvinists disagreeing on certain things related to the working of God or if the question has to do with the revelation of God himself as the case between the Jews and the Christians. the, The question here. Uh, do Muslims actually understand who God is, the God of the Quran? Is he truly the God of the Bible? And with that in mind, I want to just uh, start talking about a very important issue, and that's the fact that the God of the Bible revealed himself as the Savior. Notice, he is the Savior. In fact, my name, Al-Fadi, is short for Abdul Fadi, which means servant of the savior or servant of the redeemer because the word fight in arabic that's what it means why did i choose this because it is utterly lacking in islam even though islam uh teaches that uh, the god of islam has 99 beautiful names still if you read all these 99 names you won't find a single one of them describing god as a redeemer or a savior And this is really the fundamental thing about the God of the Bible. In fact, the whole Bible is a book of redemption. It's redeeming people, sinners, back to reconcile with God. So it is absolutely the central truth that we have to uh, adhere to and understand uh, with that in mind why God would choose to send His Son to die on the cross for our sins. What is the purpose behind it? And Well, if we don't understand redemption here and redemptive history of the Bible, we're not going to understand at all the nature of God and why the Trinity is a blessing to us, actually not a cursing. So, um, you know, for instance, uh, let's go to Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 20, we read something interesting. That's when the Ten Commandments are being given. And God started by saying, you must not have any other God but me. You know, Here is God revealing himself, saying, um, I am the Lord, your God. And then he begins with the Ten Commandments, and right from the beginning, he gives a warning to his people not to take any other gods beside him or with him. Uh, and that's important to know. But then also, God uh, revealed himself in such a unique way to his people. Uh, in fact, he used a formula that will be used by the prophets of the Old Testament over and over again to remind the people of God of who their God is. He is the God who saved them. It is what it says in Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You see, now you have the context here. Notice how God introduced himself. Hi, I am the God who rescued you, who saved you. I am the God who redeemed you from this slavery. And obviously, metaphorically speaking, this particular slavery, of course, to us is a symbolic of the slavery to sin in the hands of Satan. So God was also revealing to us something here about his intent, not only to physically rescue us, as the case in Exodus and the people uh, of God, but also from a spiritual standpoint in the work of Christ on the cross. And you know, it's kind of interesting because the story of the Exodus um, was also discussed in the Quran, although the Quran just somehow uh, uh, overlooked the tenth plague, uh, which dealt with the Passover lamb and the the issue of uh, spiritual salvation. Uh, but nevertheless, um, the story exists in the Koran uh, for the most part, in most respect, basically. And this is an amazing story because this story has survived for uh, the last um, uh, 3,000 plus years. Uh, so uh, we still talk about the exodus. Uh, in fact, even Hollywood made a movie about exodus and multiple, uh, you know, uh, refurbishment uh, or reproduction of it in a digitized way and also the animation form and so many other things. Uh, So this story always resonates. Whenever you hear the word Exodus, you understand that we're talking about Moses and the chosen people of God. So this is something important. Now, another important thing, for instance, when uh, Moses um, met with uh, Jethro, uh, who became his father-in-law later, Uh, We read how Jethro understood the God of Moses. In Exodus 18, verses 8 to 11, I'm going to read that, the whole thing for you. Exodus chapter 18, verses 8 to 11, notice what happens here. It starts by saying, Everything the Lord has done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians on behalf of Israel, he also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people From all their troubles. See, Moses was discussing with the people everything that God has done for them. And Jethro, who is the father in law, basically, of Moses, a Midianite, this is what he says Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. This is what he says Praise be to the Lord, Jethro said. For he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. I know now that God is greater than all other gods. Notice, Jethro acknowledges the first commandment, basically, of the Ten Commandments, that he is a unique God, therefore no one should serve any other gods by him. And what did he use? The fact that God redeemed his people, saved him. That's very, very important for us to remember, by the way. And hence, we shouldn't be surprised that another prophet, hundreds of years later after Moses, by the name of Hosea, in chapter 13, verse 4, reminded the people of the same thing, and look what he said. But I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me. And you say, well, that's that's cool. I, I remember hearing this before, but notice what it says also. No savior except me. That's an interesting thing, by the way, for Hosea to say something like this about the Lord. Of course, he was inspired to say this by the Lord himself. Notice how God associated his rescuing work uh, with the fact that he is a savior. He rescued the people and therefore, do not take any other God but me. Because why? Because there is no Savior except me. I'm the only one who is capable of saving you. Let's look, for instance, at other passages. Um, and, you know, in other passages, uh, like in um, Psalm 119, 130, and 2 Timothy 2, 24, 26, it all leads us, basically, to the same gradual understanding of whole this God is, that he is a savior, and we shouldn't take any other gods but him. Jonah, another story that, uh, sadly, the Quran doesn't really talk about the story. It just makes a reference to Jonah. But nevertheless, it's a short book for chapters that are very powerful, and I pray that all Muslims will end up reading it. Um, uh, we are going to just... Uh, Uh, close this show right now by just mentioning something from the story of Jonah and then, Lord willing, next week we will come back and continue. Here's what it says in Jonah. uh, Basically, that the life of those sailors with him were saved. Why? They were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Why? Because they calibrated their thinking and they prayed to the God of Jonah. Therefore, they were saved. Well, um, it's time is coming to a close for this uh, uh, episode. However, Lord willing, next week we will continue our discussion related to this vital uh, topic, uh, Do Christians and Jews Worship the Same God? And um, as always, um, I encourage you to reach out uh, to us uh, by uh, uh, emailing us at Ministries at gmail.com and you can also listen to uh, this show and all the previous ones in our archive at SoundCloud and search for Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi. Till we meet again, have a blessed week.